This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Hey, Parsh Ba'ira, Perak Tas, Pasuk Ches. Pasuk says the following. It says, Vayomer Hashem Moshe Val-Aram. Hashem spoke to Moshe Aram. Kehula Chem Melochap Nechem Piachiv Shon. Take for yourselves or grab for yourselves a fistful of piach kivshan seems to be soot, oven ashes. Take that stuff out. Zorku Moshe Hashemayimah, Moshe Rabbeinu threw it up, to, should throw it up to the Shemayim, to the heavens, laying a paro in front of the eyes of paro. V'hayolah avak al It would be dust over all the land of Mitzrayim. V'hayolah adam v'ala It will be on top of the animals and on all the people as well. L'shchin porech avabuos. It will be a shchin, this type of boil. Porech avabuos that would be blistering up. It would be throughout the land of Mitzrayim itself. So Rav Hirsch says that this is the third, the second, I should say, of the third makos, the three makos of affliction, inflicting pain upon the Egyptians. Kinim, then there was going to be this. There's going to be one other that comes through here, telling them what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted them to do. This didn't come with any warning. There was no warning for it. This is the sixth makah. No warning before it. It just came automatically with Moshe Benu doing this. Now, Rashi says what these blisters were. These are blisters that formed from heat. The blisters boiled up. And if anybody's touched a really, really hot oven and seen what happened to their arms, they touch something and they immediately, they see your skin starts blistering up immediately, starts blowing up immediately. And it was filled with air on top of the skin of the Egyptians. That was the immediate blister that happened as soon as the ash fell down on them, this ash that went throughout the land of Mitzrayim. It felt like burning hot coals were touching their body. And it was as if they were first degree burns, third degree burns. All these burns that went one after the other in which they blew up, completely blew up right there. The Rashbam says the blisters filled up with pus liquid morsa. They were absolutely disgusting when they popped. But according to Rashi, it seems that they weren't filled with this stuff. It seemed to be almost like a dry blister that blew up on top of his skin and that's that. Rashi says, Piach Kivshan refers to the white ashes that are blown off of burning coals. Anybody who's done a barbecue before with coals knows you wait, you burn it until you get that white stuff on top of it. That's what we're referring to. We're referring to that white stuff that's on top of the coals. He picked those up and threw them up into the air. The Ramban says, these ashes landed on the Egyptians. As we said, they were so burning hot, the skin was blistering. It could be that the wind even blew it inside the people's houses. So it wasn't just on the Egyptians that were walking outside, but even inside the houses, they got it. You could not escape it, and it burned its way through. You can sometimes see this, says the Ramban, when there's dust that falls in years of famine together with the dew in the morning, but that dust doesn't have the same effect. It obviously is not burning, and it's not going to be as bad. This was bad. This was horrible, and it affected them tremendously. Baba Kama Payam Bez says, this maca contained boils that were filled with pus and wet on the outside, but it was a dry rash on the inside. Dry rash on the bottom, pus on the outside. It blew up, it oozed, it had all that disgusting stuff, but inside was a dry rash. And here's the issue. Normal remedies normally deal with the wetness of the, the blister. Then you put on something dry, like some type of talcum powder, or some type of thing that goes there. If you have dry skin, then you put on a lotion. Typically speaking, lotions are not going to work for something wet, and dry talcum powder is not going to work for something dry. These blisters were impossible to heal. Since they were both, they were wet on the outside and dry on the inside. Every time they put on a talcum powder to be able to get rid of the wet stuff, their skin just became extremely scratchy and they couldn't deal with it because of the rash on the bottom. Whenever they put something else on, a lotion, it just made the liquid stuff on top of their skin even worse. It just got worse and worse and worse. There was no remedy that would work for this. The Torah Tamima says, this is the type of wound, if you got this, 
on an animal or a coin, it would render the animal with a coin a balmum. That's how bad these blisters were. It wasn't something that was just a regular blister. It turned an animal into a balmum, an actual blemished person. And if it happened around a bunch of people, you would have to fast for this. An entire community would fast for these type of blisters forming on top of people. This shokhan arach simen tufkofayin vav sip hay. That's exactly this. There were other boils that were the exact opposite. Dry on the outside, but wet on the inside. Almost like they had something wet on their skin itself, and then a blow up of some type of dry skin that came there. And again, they had no idea how to heal it. The Nitziv says there were two diseases here. Some of them were healing, and some of the Egyptians were lucky enough to get shin, to get this type of boil that was able to be healed. But there was another one that was really bad, and that was the dry and the wet that went together. That's how the Nitziv puts it. There were two of them all over there, and it depended on who you were. Some people got lucky, some people got unlucky. The people that were worse to the Jews got the worst type of maka, and it hit them really, really hard. It's all shown from the Pasuk and Kisavu. In Kisavu, we say in the middle of the Tokha, we're going to be hit with Shechin Mitzrayim Asher Losu Chaulahei The Shechin of Mitzrayim that could not be healed for this reason. And that's a disease that Chas V'Shalom could come upon the Jews at a time when we're doing something horrible. We'll get this Shechin of Mitzrayim that will never be healed. It's going to be both of them together. Medrash Gadol and the Medrash Mishnas Rabbi Eliezer both say there were 24 different types of Shechin that happened to the Egyptians at this point. Point. None of them could be healed in the same way, and it actually made the other shechin worse. So it wasn't the same on the same boil. It was dry and wet on the same boil. It was on their skin. They had all these different types where they couldn't deal with it. They argue on different parts, but they have midrashim that explain exactly how this works into the pasuk itself. The Malbim says at first the Egyptians first had a dry rash. They were just walking around, and the ashes landed on them. They had a dry rash that went all over their body. Anybody who's had chapped lips and like really, really cracked hands, right? That real white stuff that goes around, like when it gets cold and you have that, they had that all over their body. Their whole body filled with a type of psoriasis that was just horrible for their entire body and they couldn't deal with it whatsoever. Then it began to blister. Then it began to get wet pus on the outside and that made it even worse for them. It was just painful, painful, painful. It said the mouth and they didn't know what to do with themselves. Rippersch explains this in his German way, the doctor way that he wanted to go through it. He said, it's an inflammatory condition which can develop and form boils which, where pus forms and forces its way out. The remedy back in the day, he says, was for these, for these types of inflammations as well as gangrene and anything else that might happen was charcoal or cooled down ash and soot. And that's the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu specifically started the maka with ashes. The normal remedy that they used to use did not work for this at all. He took the soot and he showed it all came from that. It came from there. It didn't come from anything else. That's why it showed the Egyptians, and this is what Hirsch says, that the healer can become the sickness. That the sickness can become the healing way. It, each one was the opposite way of what it was. If anybody remembers Makos Tav Chafalov. And if anybody remembers Makos Chafalov, a tattoo is usher. The Gemara goes through what, why tattoos are usher, etc. One of the ways to make tattoos is when they had cuts, you have to be careful not to put ashes on top of the cut because it could tattoo the skin. This was why. Because when they had these blisters that were really bad, the only way to heal them back then is by using this type of ash and stuff like that. And sometimes it could cause tattoos. And that's how bad it became. That's where Hirsch is saying the problem over here. Miamoli said, including in this maca, if you wanted to include other stuff in this maca, they also got saras. Saras was added on. 
They were hit from head to toe with absolute horrible tzuras that racked their body with pain, made them scratch, bleed, until their flesh began to rot and smell putrid. You could smell it within them. You smelled them as they were walking by, and you could smell their flesh rotting as they were walking by. Fortunately, none of us have any idea what this means in leper colonies. To go to a real leper colony to read, if anybody's ever read City of Joy, a tremendous book, very graphic, about this person who ended up visiting this uh, Calcutta and all these places in India regarding with all these people that were just horribly disfigured, but all happy. Every single one of these lepers, happy people that lived fulfilling lives, even though they, they were horribly diseased, horribly diseased. This person goes on about it. It felt like there was dead flesh on top of the people that were there. Torah Shlema says, this flies in the face to Tacitus and Barosius. If anybody knows, those two Roman philosophers slash historians, these two guys, Tacitus and Barosius, they claimed, and it was a famous claim that went throughout Rome, that the reason why the Jews left Egypt was not because God saved them. That's not what happened. It's because they all had saras. They all had some form of a skin disease, a form of leprosy, and they had to leave because everybody saw how disgusting they were. They kicked their own slaves out. The Jews, when they left, made up a story. That's how Tacitus and Barosius says it. They made up a story that God had appeared to them. But that's why there's all these laws about Soras in the Torah. Two parshos, Tazria and Mitzvah, all about Soras. Because that's what the Jews had. Says the Torah Shlomo, this flies in the face. It wasn't us. The Tzoras came from the Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim were the ones who had the Tzoras and spread it around the area over there. Maybe they were the ones who spread it to other lands, but it wasn't us. We weren't the ones who ever got this Tzoras. We just were privy to watch it. We saw that Makkah happen right there in front of us. Miyamoe says one of the diseases they received was Makas Ra'asun. If anybody remembers, that's the disease that keeps a person from being together with his wife. When Paro tried to force himself onto Sarimenu years earlier, when Avram brought Sarah in, he was afflicted with Makas Rasan, this form of Shechin and Saras, said he could not be able to do anything whatsoever. That's the problem with Makas Rasan. That was the worst Maka that had happened to them. They couldn't deal with themselves. They couldn't handle themselves. It was so difficult. Riva Victor Miller says an unbelievable thing. It's really something to think about. The Egyptians were the first civilized, normal people. And I know we think of them as slave drivers and mad, you know, mad people, crazy people who went out there, but they weren't. The Egyptian nation was a very civilized nation that took hieroglyphics. They did a ton of things. The first zoo was in Mitzrayim, as we've mentioned here before. <coughs> they did a lot of things that made a lot of sense, and they had a chokhmah to them. The pyramids are an impossibility. You don't even know how in the world did they make them, let alone to make them in perfect, perfect pyramid angles. It was a ridiculous amount of work that went into it. Right angles are almost impossible to make without the proper tools. They didn't have wheels and yet they're getting these huge stones all the way up and made a perfect pyramid. It was almost impossible to put the gold all the way on top to overlay it with gold and all of the things that they had. The Egyptians were ridiculous, but they were clean people. They were fastidious people. These are people who couldn't stand anything. Dam hit them so hard because it was disgusting. Tzvardea, Kinim, everything was disgusting. Shrin was the worst. Says River Victor Mill, you know why it was the worst? They got pockmarks all over their faces and all over their arms. They prided themselves on the beauty that they had, on their flawlessness, that they had nothing wrong with them. If you've seen the pictures of Egyptians, how they used to dress and what they used to do, they used to show these beautiful things. And I know that Rashi was sorry, Menu, etc. But regardless, they showed themselves as the most beautiful they could make it. When they started getting these pockmarks all over their body, these huge things that the Shin left them with, these boils left them with, they couldn't handle it. 
They looked at, it, at themselves in the mirror and they couldn't stand, they couldn't deal with it. That's what they were saying, says we Victor Miller, they couldn't hide it even with makeup. They felt disgusting. They had prided themselves on this. That was the worst part for the Mitzrayim. That was the absolute worst part. Yeah, you were just yelled at. So they, they just, they couldn't deal with it. The Chidah says they had gaiva, tremendous gaiva. And for that reason, Lishchin is the gematria of Shachatz, the same 398. They thought of themselves as greater than they were. So HaKadosh Baruch who literally took down their, their good looks, destroyed their good looks and knocked them down, said, you don't deserve this anymore. That to them was horrible. To deal with frogs, you can deal with it. To deal with blood, you can deal with. To deal with the wild animals and dead animals, they can deal with. The, their bodies were destroyed that they couldn't deal with. That they couldn't deal with. How can, I, I can't look. I can't look at myself in the mirror anymore. That they couldn't handle. Says in Shimshon, what an unbelievable, it's a form of gematria, but it's so crazy. Uh, the three, six, and nine makas, the ones that you weren't warned about, the third maka was kinim. The sixth maka was shchin. The ninth maka was choshech. The way they're spelled in the Torah is kinim is spelled chof nun mem. Shchin is spelled shin ches nun. And Choshech is spelled Ches Shin Chaf. Says in the all three makas work together. Kinim, during the time of the lice, they also got boils, and they also were in darkness. During boils, they also had lice, and they also had darkness. During the time of the darkness, they got their boils and the lice back. And he says, you know why I know that? Listen to this, Gematria, it's unbelievable. Take the letters of Kinim, Shin, and Choshech, they all go together. You can spell it out. If you do... I think it has to be, it starts off with, um, which one is it? It's Chaf Nun Mem, Chaf Nun Mem. If you spell Akinim, Chaf Nun Mem, Chaf Nun Mem. Take a Shin and put in Shin right here. You have Shin here and a Shin there. You have Shin Ches Nun, Shin Ches Nun. That's Shin and Shin, Kinim, Kinim, right? And then the final one is Choshech. You put a little thing, I forgot how it goes exactly. I think it's got to be, what do we just have over here? We have shchin, ches. Somehow you put the chaf over there, the chaf that's right over there, and you have, oh, do you have the, I forgot. You have to figure it out yourself. Go figure it out yourself and put it down. I have it over here somewhere. But if you put all of them together, all the letters interchange with one another. And they go all together, so that means that all those three makas work together the same way, so that it was dark at the time. If you look at the Chait Haggadah, does anybody have that? The one with the awesomest pictures of all time? You know, the Rabbi Chait Haggadah, the one with the craziest picture, you know what I'm talking about, right? They'll show you in the third, sixth, and ninth Makkah, it's all dark. Kinim is in the dark, Shechin is in the dark, and Choshech is all in the dark. All, all of them, and it's all the same. They have the lice, and the, 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 everything is interchanged with one another. Everything happened right there. So Moshe Zakinim says this Makkah started by Moshe and Aaron grabbing ash and soot. And the reason why is because this Makkah never existed outside of Mitzrayim. Nobody had ever gotten a type of disease like this was, and it will never exist again. It will never exist. Even though in Parshki itself we say, that's one way of the Shechin. But this Makkah was something, the actual Makkah that hit the Mitzrayim was not something they could call in, like the frogs or the locusts or something like that. It's something that was, had to be made by them through this strange process over here. Obviously, there were miracles involved. What happens if you throw ash up into the air? It's going to dissipate in the air and it's going to be lost completely. It's not going to gather together. This somehow multiplied in the air and something happened from that. Shach says they had to be involved in the process because Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron are the Yisod, so to speak, of Asian Mayim. 
Moshe Rabbeinu was the fire that Klai Yisrael needed. The one who got angry when it needed to happen. While Arnon was the peaceful one. Always making peace and trying to go to other people, asking them what they needed. The Mayim out of both of them. They were Aish and Mayim. The Shekin contained both aspects, the Aish and the Mayim. Therefore, they both had to be involved. Rav Alshech says a crazy idea. He says, this is a different type of Makkah. The real purpose of this Makkah was to knock down the Malach of Mitzrayim. And because that HaKadosh Baruch was involved as well, both Moshe and Aaron grabbed the Shechin. Moshe threw it up in the air because Aaron was in charge of the ground. Moshe was in charge of the air. And HaKadosh Baruch himself took care of the gods of Mitzrayim. And not only did the Mitzrayim themselves get this Shechin, but somehow even the Malach Somehow even the Malach of Mitzrayim, Rahav or Mitzrayim or whatever the name was, was affected by Shechin and a Kaddish Baruch who tanked down the Malach itself. And that's hinted to by the word Khartoumim later that the magicians that were involved, it was a crazy line. The full Alshech you should see inside, but it's an amazing, amazing idea. There were miracles that were involved with this Makkah. What was the miracles? Number one, both Moshe and Aaron picked, picked up handfuls of this stuff, of this soot, of this ash. They went into the oven, they grabbed handfuls of the soot, and they kept it in their hands themselves. Moshe had two, Aaron had two. He was told to put it in one hand and throw it up in the air. So he took his handful, put it on top of his handful in his hand. Aaron took the third handful, and Aaron took his fourth handful, and all four handfuls somehow fit into Moshe Rabbeinu's hand. And he was able to take this hand that was filled with four handfuls, which obviously does not make any sense, he was able to throw that in itself up into the air itself. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. The way that the Miyamalois puts it, based on Rashi, is that he was able to take all of those. The Panam Yafo says it's possible they used a Kli, it's based on another Machlokas, but that's that. Number two, he threw it up into the heavens high enough. And remember, this is soot, this is ash. <coughs> Try taking ash and throwing it just halfway across the table. But he took this ash and threw it up to the heavens to the point where it reached Kisei HaKavod itself. It reached all the way up to the Kisei HaKavod. It landed all over Mitzrayim and he was able to throw it high enough into the atmosphere that it was able to go everywhere, land everywhere throughout Mitzrayim. Number three, the fact that it just covered up anywhere in Mitzrayim, let alone a 400 parsa by 400 parsa area of Egypt, is absolutely crazy. But it went everywhere and inside the houses as well. And it kept going. It kept going as if there was just nothing there. And number four, even though the entire land of Mitzrayim was hit by ash and the soot was everywhere, this stuff was everywhere, nowhere in Goshen was hit by this soot. Nothing hit them. The Piach and Kivshon didn't go anywhere near Goshen, which is clearly miraculous. Where the Jews lived, they were unaffected. They didn't see anything. They didn't have anything. They were embroiled. Nothing happened to all of them. That Yelis Hashachar of Steinman asked the question, he says, what's the point? Why would you do this? It's just, what is the point of doing this type of stuff? Why would you need miracles like that? Who saw it and was affected by it and that turned themselves on? Usually a miracle is for a purpose. All you needed to do was tell Moshe Rabbeinu, take a little bit of ash, throw it up in the air, and I'll make sure it gets over Mitzrayim. But to do this, take four handfuls and then throw it as far as you can. It's going to go all over Mitzrayim and it's going to land everywhere except for why? What would be the point of this? So Ayala Shachar doesn't answer he says, usually it's too impressive on somebody, but who is, who is impressed here? Moshe and Aaron already were impressed, and Paro clearly hardened his heart afterward. What was the point of it? So Hiskuni says, the pshat is, is that in order to allow something miraculous to happen, you must do something natural with it. The Gurarie, throughout the Torah says, whenever you see miracles happen, there is always a physical aspect to the Makkah. Remember when Moshe Rabbeinu killed the Ish Mitzri with the shame of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Says the Gurarie, there is no doubt he punched the Mitzri at the same time. 
He punched him. But he punched him along with saying the shame of Hashem. His normal punch would have just smacked him in the nose, maybe broke his nose. But the punch together with that shame of Hashem killed him. Because that's how everything in the Torah works. When he wanted to split the Yamsuf, he didn't just stand there and let the Yamsuf go. He took his staff and held it up in the air, put it over the river, somehow, somewhere, the Yamsuf, in order to make it split. There must be something physical that starts the Makkah, and then something else, that Kaddish Baruch can be involved. Says the Chizkuni, that's the way that God works. He wanted to show Moshe and Aaron that Hashem is not just going to give you a miracle. You have to do something in order for it to happen. Quite often, I think most of our lives, we're waiting for these crazy miracles to happen. Mashiach to come, and like all of a sudden, the base of Mikdash is going to be built, and it's, we're not going to have to lay a finger down. It'll just be the base of Mikdash will come from the heavens. It'll destroy Al-Aqsa, and then all of a sudden, we'll be like, good, great, look, now we can walk inside. But that's not the way God works. Lefidus Ma'aral, the way the Chizkuni is saying it, we have to do something. What that means is, obviously, we're not going to go fight. That's not our way, and that's not what we're supposed to do when it comes to something like this. But we have to build the base of Mikdash ourselves, build our own bricks by doing what we're supposed to do with our mitzvahs and our learning, etc. And by doing so, memela, the Beis HaMikdash gets built. The Ruchnius follows the Gashmis. The spirituality always follows what we do. But if we don't do anything, then the result is just going to be disastrous. That's the idea. Rav Hirsch causes a lesson for Moshe Rabbeinu. Calls it a lesson for him. Of course it's impossible to have enough ash. Just try. I guarantee it's going to work. Do something. Even if it's impossible, even though you know it's not going to work, do what you need to do, do what you're supposed to do, and just do it. So Moshe Benu took the ash. He's like, all right, I'll do what I can. Throws it up in the heavens, and it reached the Kisya Kavod. Because when you put forth your Ishtadlis, what you're supposed to do, then who knows what's going to happen? You sit there and you say to yourself, why should I bother davening? I, after all, the person who's sick, it's not going to be healed because of me. What's my davening going to do? But your davening is the ability. Maybe your davening as the ability to affect everything else. And I think taking that reverse, you can make it much, 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 much stronger. We think what we say doesn't have an effect on other people. One joke that hits the internet can go throughout the entire world. You make fun of one person, and all of a sudden, these memes, you take one picture that you found, and it can go literally around the world. A person can become infamous, I guess you can say, from one silly picture that he took at a time when he was down, whatever it was, and all that does is all of a sudden, that becomes a meme throughout the entire world. We see it nowadays better than any other time. You can take a little bit of ash, and it can literally spread over all of Mitzrayim. A little bit of ash, you can make a maka throughout the entire world. With one bad line, one silly thing that you said, you can cause a ripple effect to cause the entire world to go down. We have to remember that. When, when people have that, there's a guy I know that makes memes. Yeah. So he does that for a living. I tell him all the time, it's a hard life. That's, that, that's a really difficult thing to do. You make fun of one thing. It can destroy this person's life. Destroy the person's life. For what? For what? For dollars, I guess. That's really why he's doing it. He's getting paid. But it's, it's crazy. Yushalmi says as well, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu's voice was able to carry from this. It's a Kalva Homer. If the Piach Kivshan can be thrown in the air and spread out throughout Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu's voice was able to carry throughout all of Eretz Yisrael. I'll be honest with you, through a B'nai Yisrael, it doesn't make any sense to me how Moshe Rabbeinu ever spoke to Kalai Yisrael. You ever think about what it was like on Har Sinai? Moshe Rabbeinu is facing the people on Har Sinai. Now, I always pictured it, and maybe I'm wrong, but I always pictured it as if B'nai Yisrael is surrounding the mountain, right? Where's Moshe? How is he telling them the Aserah How is his voice heard, right, on the other sides of the mountain? 
So instead, it must have been all in front of the mountain. But then you would have been all the way back. We're talking three million people. How in the world was Moshe Rabbeinu's voice heard? It's obviously miraculous, right? The point is, is that from here we see one little bit of ash can spread throughout all Mitzrayim. One little bit over here of a microphone is able to get everywhere. It's able to go throughout everywhere. It's a really unbelievable thing. Medrash Rabbah says the word Khartoumim, the magicians who try to replicate everything in Mitzrayim, all the Makos, Khartoumim is spelled differently here than it is everywhere else in the Torah. There's no Yud, there's no Vav. It's spelled Khartoumim Ches Reish Tes Mem Mem. No Vav, no Yud, as if it's missing its vowels, as if it's missing what's there. It hints that something went terribly wrong with the Khartoumim. What happened with the Khartoumim themselves? Ibn Ezra said the Khartoumim were not able to stand in front of Moshe Rabbeinu once this Makkah started. It's possible they were able to get out of Tzvardea and Arov. Maybe they did something to be able to get out of this. This they had no ability to get themselves out. The Shechin hit them so badly and in every place. They were in so much pain. Kinim was bad. There was lice. This, with their entire body, was wrecked with pain and they had no idea what to do. These were people that were so used to inflicting pain on others, making their diseases go to other people, and they couldn't take it. The Ramban and the tourists say, no, 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 this wasn't because they wanted to stand in front of Moshe. They were embarrassed. They knew that they couldn't replicate what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing. <laughs> Again, they had that feeling by Kenan, but they blamed it on the fact that, okay, these things are tiny. The Shekhinah was something they were known for. They gave Shekhinah to other people. That was a disease that they were able to give to other people, and here they couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Says the Ramban in the tour, they, emba- they were embarrassed so much, they could no longer stand up. They couldn't get out of their houses. They couldn't leave their houses. Meshachachma says they were trying to give Shechin to Moshe Rabbeinu at the time. They're trying to find a subject to show that they could do it as well. But every Egyptian was hit. They couldn't give it to the Jews. And everything they did to Moshe Rabbeinu didn't work. Moshe Rabbeinu should have been more susceptible to this Makkah. He was living in Mitzrayim where everybody had Shechin. And he had already gotten Saras once. Usually one person is susceptible to a skin disease. He'll get the skin disease again if he's exposed to it. So they tried giving it back to, Mitzra- to Moshe Rabbeinu and nothing worked. They couldn't get it. They would hold on to Moshe Rabbeinu's arm. The Shechin wouldn't go to him. And they didn't know what to do with themselves. Says to Moshe Chachma, it didn't work that way. That's the Malbim as well. The Malbim as well says there was nothing they could do to get it on anybody else and they couldn't do it. Reverse says, simply put, these guys were doctors. And the doctors who always knew what type of healing to do, they couldn't deal with this. And they were the most embarrassed. People came to them. They were standing outside their door saying, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? They took one look at the cartoon and they said, oh, you guys look worse than we do. You guys look worse than we do. You don't have any chachma. What do you have for this? And they told them, we don't have anything for this. God is in charge here. We have nothing to do. And the Khartoum were embarrassed that they no longer could be those people, the people in charge that were over there. Then comes even stronger. The Miam says, and he brings it down from Pirkei Rebelez or Perak Memchas. The Khartoumim were the only people in Mitzrayim to keep the Shechin for the rest of their lives. It never left them. They remained with these boils even after the Makkah ended. And everybody in Mitzrayim lost it. Paro, all the men lost it. These Khartoumim kept the Shechin on them for the rest of their lives. They never healed. They were always sick. They couldn't lift their eyes up to Moshe Rabbeinu ever again. They couldn't look at him. They couldn't deal with them anymore. They said, we're the people who always used to deal with this. They couldn't look up because they were so sick. And the reason why is because they were the ones that suggested to kill the Jewish babies. They're the ones who suggested to shack them and bathe in their blood. They're the ones who said, put them in, inside bricks, throw them in the river. And because of that, they made the Jews' lives miserable. They, they suffered by far the worst out of anyone there. Those Khartoum never lost it till the end of their lives. So that's one thing that happened over there. 
And they, they were so broken. The Miyam always brings down an opinion that the Khartoumim honored Moshe Rabbeinu by this. They stood up for him when he walked into the room because they finally saw they're never going to be like Moshe Rabbeinu. And here's an unbelievable medrash. These Khartoumim are the ones that converted to become Jews. And as soon as they became Gerim, that's when their Tsaras went away. They stood up for Moshe. They realized how wrong they were, how they never should have said anything. And eventually they stood up for Moshe Rabbeinu time after time after time again and decided they were going to leave with them. They were on his side. That's when they got healed. That's when they fully healed. Now, some say that became the Arab Rav. Some say they joined Kla Yisrael Mamish. Some say they just died out of their Tsaras. Some say they died after they converted. They converted and then afterward they died. Regardless, the Maka, this Maka affected them more than anything else. As we said before, the beauty. But they themselves didn't know what to do with themselves. They couldn't handle themselves. It was so difficult. And that's why it says at the end of this Maka, for the first time, from your kindergarten career, everyone knows that after the first five Makos, there is an opinion brought down by the Ramban that Paro's heart was hardened. That beforehand, the first five Makos, Paro purposely said, don't let them go, don't let them go. He always hardened his own heart. By the last five Makos, Hashem hardened the heart of Paro. That's one of the Pshatim that the Ramban brings. It starts right here because it says, Vayechazik Hashem Eslev Paro. The reason why the Khartoumim weren't involved is because the Khartoumim told Paro, we're out. The Khartoumim said, we can't deal with this anymore. They were done. So why didn't Paro let them go? Because Hashem was not done. Hashem wanted them to get more punishments. Hashem wanted to get more onshim. So he purposely hardened Paro's heart, made him lose his Bechira, took him out of his realm of self-deciding what to do. You no longer can make any decisions. You can't do this anymore. And that's why it only says, Vayachazik Hashem is leif Paro. Not leva um, not the Khartoumim. Vayachazik Hashem is leif Paro. It starts with this sixth maka where they could not handle it anymore. The shock says, this was the one that exactly should have hit Paro was affected by this. Let's go through. The blood, he didn't have a problem with. He paid money, and he ended up getting water from the Jews. Tzvardea locked himself in his room, and although the frogs got in, didn't affect him the same way it affected everything else. Lice, again, locked himself in his room, kept himself in the most, the greatest baths. A person like Paro can afford to get out of something like the lice as much as it affected him, not as much. Aro, the clownished. He never walked outside. So the Arov didn't affect him as much, unless you go with Rebbe Nechemia, that there were flies and gnats and fleas, etc. wasn't affected by as much. Dead animals, for sure didn't affect him. He didn't care. Shechin, his body was racked with pain. And like the Khartoumim, this is the one that really hit Paro the most. Had he been in his own mind, had he been his own deciding factor, he would have said right then, I'm out. I don't want to deal with pain. Paro never dealt with pain. Even, remember how they started the slavery in Mitzrayim? They said even Paro's working. The guy who never worked, never lifted a finger in his life. Paro's don't work. Paro's don't lift a finger. They don't do anything. They sit down and they're fed. That's what they do. This Paro, there was no way he ever did anything in his life. And now he's got so much pain he doesn't know what to do with himself. That was the issue. Says the shach, he would have let them away. Although it seems pushed that every maka lasted seven days, and we know these midrashim, every maka was seven days and then three weeks afterward to give a respite in between. There were differences between that. The Ramban says the last three makos, Chosh, um, Arba, Choshech, and Makas Bechoros all happened at once. Makas Bechoros, they all in Nisan, one after the other. But regardless, it seems that they took a month, seven days, etc. Says the Ibn Ezra, Shechin did not last seven days. There were makas that lasted seven days. 
but it seems that Dever, the plague that killed all the animals, only took an hour. Choshech, he says, only took three days. It's our Midrashim that say that it was six days, three days of this, three days of that. Says Ibn Ezra in Pashup Shad, it's only three days. There were Makkahs that lasted seven days altogether, but he feels that this Makkah, Shechin, only lasted a few days because they couldn't handle the pain. The pain was too much. Two, three days at the most, and then it was done. He says, and in that way, if you learn like the Ibn Ezra, it really could be that all the Makkos happened in a month and a half. You could finish them all off one after the other in a month and a half. They could all go together in one way. So what did the Egyptians do to deserve this Makkah? Why did they get Shechin? Where did this come from and where did it happen? The Amloi says they forced the Jews to bring them into bathhouses, to bathe their bodies and to help them, to pour the water for them, etc. So they were afflicted with this Makkah where they couldn't bathe at all. They went in hot water, their boils killed them. They went in cold water, the boils killed them. They couldn't sit in any type of water whatsoever. So because they brought them into bathhouses, this happened. Mishnas Rebbe Eliezer says it specifically happened after Makkah's Dever. The Egyptians had nothing to do. The Dever had killed off 90% of their animals. Their work animals were all gone. They couldn't work the fields anyway. They said, all right. They turned to the Jews and said, we're just going to sit in the bathhouses now. They turned to the Jews right then and said, bring us into the bathhouses, pour us the water, do everything, and that's when they got the shechin. They got shechin right at that moment, so the Jews didn't have to pour their bath water or give them anything, not let them relax whatsoever. They thought, now we can relax? Kodesh Baruch said, no, I'm not letting you relax. There's no way that you're going to get any chance to relax whatsoever. Another reason brought is they were mezalzel the Jews. They made fun of the Jews. As we all know from the times of Yosef Atzadik, Egyptians did not allow the Jews to eat with them. I don't know if you want to call it anti-Semitic. That's not exactly there. They were racist to what the Jews represented. They didn't want any Ivrim eating at their table. And because they acted like the Jews were disgusting, they didn't want to be there. And as a timeout, it was the greatest thing to ever happen to the Jews because they were so racist and because they didn't want to be anywhere near the Jews. Because of that, there were never incidents of where Egyptian men were together with the Jewish women. That was an extremely awesome bracha that we had. The only incident that we have, as we all know, is from Shlomis Basdivri, from the Ish Mitzri, that with Dussan's wife, etc. That we have in the parasha. But other than that, they stayed away because they treated them like vermin. They acted as if they were disgusting. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, you think the Jews are disgusting? You think they're vermin? You're disgusting. You're filled with vermin. And gave them the shechin for this very reason. Said no one would want to sit with them. They wouldn't even want to sit with one another. There's a famous Beni Shechaim Mashal. I don't know if anybody's heard it before. Two guys. Their job was to clean out the, um, the, the outhouses. It used to be back then. They had like holes. That was it. And you went to the bathroom in the holes. So eventually, the stuff stuffed it up. It was, they had to clean it out. So there was a guy. Can you imagine having this job? So they could have. I guess they wanted to get rid of it and keep their room. I, I'm sure it smelled a lot also. By the way, but this was a guy's job. A guy's job was to clean out everything. So they would hire these guys to go and clean it all out. So the story is, the Benish Chai says, so there were two guys that were hired. They both did it, right? And obviously pretty smelly job. They kept digging out, digging out, and putting in bags, putting in whatever they had, right? And then they had to sit down and eat lunch. So they sat down. You know, one guy sat down. He started eating his lunch, whatever he did, right? And he started eating it. The other guy sat down right next to him, opened up his lunch. The first guy got up and walked to the other side. Second guy was like, okay. So he got up and he walked to the other side. First guy got up and walked away. Second guy looked at him and he's like, dude, we're doing the same thing, right? We're bo- we both smell horrible. 
There's no difference between us. Why in the world are you walking away from me? So the guy said, it's bad enough that I have to smell myself when I'm eating my bread. I have to smell you as well. I don't, I, I don't want to deal with that. That's how bad it was for the Egyptians. It's bad enough that one guy had shechin, but he was looking at the other guy when he had shechin. And the shechin was so disgusting, you couldn't look at the other person. It was so bad that they stay away, and that's the idea behind it. The Kliakr says it's because they didn't allow the Jews to bathe at all, the exact opposite of the one before. They didn't allow the Jews to bathe. They didn't allow the women to go into the mikvah of whatever they had back then. I know it's before Matan Torah. They didn't allow their women to be able to bathe, etc. And because of that... This Mako was keeping them away from their wives, from their families. Nobody wanted to be near each other for this very reason. They stayed away as far as they could from one another, especially from their wives, wives from their husbands, etc. The final answer that we have over here, um, I think, yeah, is the Mashiach. This Mako, he says, comes to any person who speaks lies and Lashon Hara. Soras, which is part of the Shechin itself, this skin disease that they received, was when a person spoke out Sheker, when he did Lashon Hara, when there was something horrible that came out from his mouth, this was the result. If a person is very brazen, Azus Metzach, they call it, then this Makkah could be given to him as a punishment. It could be, says the Meashilach, the Ishbitzer, that the Egyptians were speaking lies and Lashon Hara about the Jews over and over and over again. They kept talking to them. And maybe that's one of the five things. Why one of the five things that the Jews didn't do is they never spoke out lush and horror about one another and that's why they got saved. They were living in a land where everyone spoke lies about each other. Everyone spoke lush and horror about each other. They were living in that land where everybody was doing it. Therefore, their punishment was shechin. They got saras. They got the punishment that someone gets for speaking that out against one another. So that's the idea behind why they would have gotten that all together. Those are the six reasons. So we spoke out the idea of what this maka could have been, how bad of a shin, how bad of a skin disease this could have been for everybody over there. Spoke out the Nitzitzi Shimshon of how it matched up with Choshech and with Kinim itself. We spoke out the Moshev Zakinim, the Alshech, of how this shin had to be happened from Moshe and Aaron together with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. We did all the miracles that happened for this maka and the point of why these miracles had to happen, the idea of what it teaches us, the Khartoumim, how they were affected by it, how Rabbeinu Bechaya says this was the Makkah that Paro could not stop himself. He, got, he, he had to be stopped by a Kaddish Baruch Hu in order to, to make sure they got the rest of the Makos. And finally, why the Egyptians deserved Shin right over any of the other Makos. Have a good job, everybody.